Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Monday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is March 30th. Andy, how are we doing? Brandon! I'm doing good. I, uh, you are? You know, Monday. We're here. Monday morning, uh, Monday morning recording. We pushed this off Sunday night. It was getting late. You were tired. I was tired. My wife's birthday yesterday. Just a lot going on. So it was probably for the better of the product, which... This is rarely a concern around here, given that, you know, the mic is on half the time. Hey, is your We're mic on, on? I think I have toggled it on today. I hope. Does it sound all right? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. I, you all know, right. I, I just want the record to show we we went to a new recording style, which requires Brendan to record and turn on a mic, you know. An and, extra uh, step here that just hasn't been a part of the process. You didn't know how tough it was that I had, what I had going on for so <laughs> so many months. Didn't you know, know how heavy the crown is, you know, when you got to record and <laughs> turn on a mic. I was thinking about it last night and I was like, you know, we are actually quite fortunate. We've only really lost one full episode to recording not actually being done. That yeah. That's the real kick in the pants is when you talk for 40 minutes and realize you haven't been recording. And that's happened really only like once, maybe a couple half episodes. But one has really only been lost to history, and that we're we're actually quite fortunate to that. For yeah. That. Hey, you All got right. your little uh, flicker thing. Everybody was asking me what that was. You got it in your hand. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> fidget cube. People apparently <laughs> thought I was like drinking beers or play. It's I don't. My wife. So, I just a lot sit. of people thought you were smoking weed. You know, they thought it was like really? a Zippo, a Zippo, <laughs> Zippo lighter, <laughs> yeah. hitting the one eight. But ah. No, I just sit at my desk and stare at the wall, try to come up with ideas. And apparently, I, my wife thinks I just fidget with everything. So, uh, so she got me this contraption. It's just like a clicker. I don't know. So, sorry about that. When you don't have the mic on, I guess you pick up all that external noise from the yeah, computer. Yeah, the computer mic is not not very very good. Apologies. Uh, so let's get into it. Everything. You had a good weekend. Everything okay. Every day is the same, right? Yeah, every day is the kind same. Of all blends together seems like uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be in this uh every day is the same thing for a little while here yeah i will say i've been thinking about it it's a shitty situation for everyone i'm not claiming it's good in any way or it's gonna you know it may cause some changes that are good but it's not worth it of course but whenever we get golf again or sports again it will be an emotional moment for me i know yeah just like i mean i don't know it's I was thinking analogizing it to Cleveland sports fan. Harold Bryant once had like a ended a column after another horrible, horrible exit, whatever it was. Like I think we lost a 
Red Sox 3-1 lead. He's like, without the tears, the champagne has no taste. So short, you know, the, the pain sucks. It sucks right now, but maybe it'll make us appreciate what we had and will have again, you know? So, yeah. Not, 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 ma- doesn't mean this is worth it, but when we do get golf, that'll be a joyous, joyous day again. I agree. Uh, it doesn't look like golf anytime soon. You know, I don't think yeah. it's, it's looking good. I was reading some stuff about a potential six month lockdown in the UK, which that pretty much ends any hopes of a July, uh, July open championship, especially considering their, you know, they, how much they, how important crowds are to them, crowd yep. sizes. I, uh, yep. So it's 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 uh it's tough to imagine that's going to happen. I think you know we do have a, you know a rumor or shred of hope from Phil Mickelson leaking a little something. Yeah, he did say what? What did he say? Working on it. Someone asked like, can we get you and Tiger playing with Mike up? And he said working on it. This was a big tweet Sunday night. Someone asked him, don't tease us. He goes, I'm never a tease or whatever. So this, you know ignited the aggregation machine quickly everybody was on this one tweet working on it you know catnip. uh catnip so it got... twitter in general is just catnip well there's i mean i you know what i don't there's nothing to write about there's nothing to aggregate people have jobs and they got to do stuff and you know you get a little morsel a little crumb like this and you just go and this is why we got brandle becoming the back and forth and the back of everybody writing a letter and then everybody aggregating the open letter. And then every, you know, that's becomes a big thing. Bad timing for Brandle to light a fire like that when nobody else has, you know, when there's no other like meat to chew on out there. So, uh, we gotta be careful, film. you know, what's that? It <laughs> sounds like I us? gotta be careful. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You don't want to stir up any controversy. All of a sudden you become the subject of the, the aggregation mill. Um, <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about that. No, no, not at all. Uh, all right, so what's the rumor? We think there there may be another match coming. We got totally, totally, totally unconfirmed, totally unverified, totally unchecked, but that's the leeway this podcast provides us is, you know, we can within reason say whatever we want, right? Yeah. And people come here, to, people need rumors to subsist on right now. They, they, they need anything. We heard uh, actually Friday, we got a, a tip, totally unverified. Guy could be, you know, a guy could be just a bartender somewhere in rural America, has no information. But it's a hey, tip. We're going to pass the tip along. It's, it's you know, there's, there's a trace of a, a truth to it, a trace of legitimacy to it, that they were working on this match, Tiger and Phil. This came on Friday. Now we have Phil tweeting Sunday with partners from other sports, namely Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as partners. Two-on-two match. And Phil is on the record in the past as saying he wanted to do a match with you know players from other sports to kind of up the, the banter, as they say, the needle, so, so that those dead air times on the microphones maybe are filled with people. I, I don't know that Peyton and Tom Brady would be particularly good at that maybe gary payton you know people like that the glove. But, <laughs> uh you know I, I but i don't know totally under and then allegedly it was scheduled for early june like first weekend in june and now with no sports they're trying to push it up even to mid-may who knows who knows 
That's uh, that would be juicy. That's catnip. That, it would be it. It would, it would be awesome. And this is the thing I have thought about this right now. It, I don't think anything should happen. Like like right now, we're at a pivotal moment where everybody just needs to sit inside. Like it's going to be what, a, a tough couple of weeks. Let's like, chill out. Everybody just needs to sit inside right now. But golf, more so than any other sport, can you don't have to touch your competitors, which is unique to like every other sport. You've got 20 people playing on a field and they touch each other and there's human yeah. contact, which is how this whole thing spreads. Like, you know, yeah. in golf, like there are ways that you could do a lot of creative stuff in, say, yeah. a month when a lot of other sports are still going to be probably sidelined and i think that it's i'm surprised a little bit and maybe it's coming but like the pga tour hasn't thought of anything outside the box of hey we play you know 150 people fields over 72 holes like give us something and and that i think like is something that this match would the ratings if they can pull it off in may are gonna be insane monster i mean it was Look, the the match in November, as again, I've talked about this. Like, it did better traffic, and I've talked to a lot of other people who do the internet thing. Did better traffic in the Masters. Like, as much as we want to bag on it, as whatever you know, the tiebreaker was goofy, the the banter was fake. The interest was enormous around that, and if you and did it's this a in different a interest list, too, right? It's a like that's broader that- sports fan. That's the thing that I found, and I think I've told this story a few times, but when I, I watched the match, we co- I covered the match, right? You know, I watched it, and then I immediately after, I headed out to the bar, and all my yeah. buddies, my buddies are not golf fans. They're, ca- they're, yeah. they're Masters fans. When the Masters is on, they're interested in the Masters, maybe the Ryder yeah. Cup, that's about it. And they were all yeah. asking me about the match, and it's like, oh, wow. Like it, this, yeah. this was in, and I think that's one of the reasons that we probably won't hear anything from the PGA tour is that if they did stuff like this and it was wildly successful, it would poke holes in the, we have yeah. the best format for golf in the world, which yeah. Yeah, I don't think is true. I think the yeah. format on the PGA tour stinks, you know, yeah. Yeah. as for, for a casual golf fan. Yeah. Um, that's a good point good point i think the issue for 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 this concept of phil tiger thing or for your request that the tour do so like it is still such a moving target it's hard to say like is this gonna be like what if the moment is still really really grim in mid-may and you've locked in sponsors venue do all this stuff and again like it should be a much more nimble operation right you don't want to you're not having crowds you're not having a massive production around it. Like it should be a nimble operation, but I think there's probably some hesitancy because there it is fluid as the term. We yeah. So I, I mean, that is, that's the struggle. And obviously this is all like this commentary is all about, you know, like when it's moderately better, you know, yeah. and we're better in a better situation. I, you know, this is, this is a terrible situation we're in right now, but Yep. I think about the way golf you could put you could have eight guys go somewhere and you could have or four guys even and you could have yeah. three cameras and you could record matches. You don't even have to put them up live. Like post produce yeah. them 
and you'd have yeah. something that would go and the ratings would be insane. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. Suffice it to say, with no other sports happening, and golf could kind of thread this needle without it being objectionable, it would yeah. be a monster, absolute and I, monster. Obviously, right now you cannot do this, but if yeah. if if things get better at the end of April. You, I think May, you could have a, an opportunity to do some really neat, unique stuff and do it for a good cause. Do it for chair, like do it to help people like in and, and, and give sponsors that have written big checks that aren't getting what they paid for the opportunity to be part of this ratings. But it, it, they aren't going to get the on-site hospitality that they signed up for, but they're going to get way more exposure, digital exposure and and television exposure than they ever would have gotten for for sponsoring the Byron Nelson or the the, yeah. the Valspar in uh in in Tampa. Like yeah. this these these types of things would be able to drive way more value than they ever have gotten on a, as a PGA Tour sponsor. And I think what you said also, it's like it, it, we always hear about the charity dollars, you know, nonstop charity dollars. Or there's a lot of PR around the charity dollars, but like this is a real opportunity to do a, make a major impact when it's really, really needed. And who knows on, on so many different fronts, whether it's for frontline medical workers, uh, just anything, you know, just really make an impact in, in golf to actually when the other sports can't play golf to really shine. What what do you think about the uh announcement the tour made about the the players being able to take cash advances? I didn't see it. I've I've seen some, I mean my week I was buried in head in the just, sand all weekend. Just seemed like the wrong time to do Was that corn fairy stuff or No, what? no, oh. PGA tour players. It's uh, like well, uh, I don't, I don't give, I don't care about PGA tour players being able to take cash advances. They're all millionaires. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I just saw some stuff going on about caddies getting some cash. I got to catch up. Yeah, caddies can take some out of the Valspar sponsorship, Valspar. which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like nothing for Corn Fairy guys. Like it's it, it just I don't know. It just seemed like the wrong time to be pushing that out. The corporate yeah. message, the corporate jargon. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I, I think on the schedule front, it seems like. The Open, if they do that six-month lockdown, is, well, it's not possible. But it seems like we're now getting the news that the Olympics has been rescheduled, which would, the original schedule would put the 150th, the, the Open Championship at St. Andrews would be the week preceding the Olympics. Oh, which, shit. you know, I, there's so many moving parts. Do we, I, that's one thing they do not want to change, right? The whole 150th celebration of the Open. Mm-hmm. Um at St. Andrews. Uh, so what what happens there? U.S. Open at Wingfoot. We don't have official word. I think all we have still is uh, Mark Cannizzaro, well well sourced, you know, good good reporter, doing it for decades. Said Wingfoot was told it's postponed, but nothing official from the USGA yet. It just it, to- I think like the big thing people aren't thinking about with these things is like what the the impact that the infrastructure build stop like. Wingfoot, they aren't can't build any structures or anything right now. And the same thing goes for uh, Royal St. George's and uh, for the Open is yeah. they can't build anything. So yeah. if you can't build the infrastructure, it's it, it's just not gonna. It, and that's I think the thing with like even if it was a three month lockdown in the UK, where we yeah. wouldn't see because it's just you know nothing's happened in the country. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. Anything else? Not not the happiest of topics, but again, when we do get golf, it'll be a bonanza. We'll have fun and we'll be happy to have it back. Just yeah. take your time now. Chill out. Hang out inside. On to happier topics. The wee Welshman. <laughs> the wee Welshman. The subject of our SGS spotlight by a fan vote, correct? You did this by over fan? the weekend yeah. by like 0.6% or something like that? Just barely nudged out Tom Kite and his uh, his workout uh, regalia, you know? Woozy. The wee Welshman, a.k.a. Boozy Woozy, which was a nickname which uh, took hold in the late 80s, early 90s. You're not going to believe this. He also wrote an autobiography or a biography commented that he was not fond of the Boozy Woozy nickname, <laughs> as you can, if you can believe it or not. But uh, <laughs> the wee Welshman, where should we start? I, uh, I have to say, just off the top, I didn't know that much about Ian Woosom as a player. No. And I, no. I just, I wish I would have gotten to see see him play. I, this is a guy I'd just love to have a beer with. He seems like just the best dude. Beer twelve, you know, he yeah. seems open to it. Um, I got a little, uh, I got a little uh, snippet from. So we uh, may do Lyle next. Is that what you're thinking? You're talking I, about? Yeah, they're, no they're, confirmation. They're li- there. Their lives were intertwined. Yeah, it might make sense to do that. So we got uh, we got to mix it up here. We did a few Americans get get some more euros going. I, the, it's amazing because you start reading about Woozy and you you pick up so much on Faldo and yes. and Wanger uh, yes. and Sevi uh, and and yeah. uh, and uh, Sandy Lyle. It just was like a great little. It was cool, so yeah. cool. Uh, so cool. Ian Woosnam. So this is uh, Bamberger. In his prime, Ian Woosnam, a shot glass over five feet, was nearly as long as anybody. He won the Masters in 91 in, a dozen, in dozens of tournaments all over the world. He should have won more majors, but the ease and comfort of the pub life were a major draw for him. <laughs> the swing was never a problem. It was the solution. <laughs> the ease and comfort of the pub life. was written so uh, elegantly. The, the woozy. So woozy, woozy. Did you know he was long? As I, we're, this is pre our generation. I, he was like prodigious, like the longest that. guy. I mean, I just assumed, you know. So the first Masters I really remember, like really remember, was like maybe woozies and, and kind of a lot like woozy because my dad was cheering for Watson. We'll get into that yeah. later. Like I, I think woozy and like couples. Like this was when I really started like the masters like sort of have memories of watching it i mean woozy um, carried those bunkers out 18 on the left yes he, he, just, the, he just hit on, it over him on purpose kind of yeah. he's like i'm just gonna take hit my hook hit and my hit it uh, as draw. hard as i can hard as i can and he was so far left but it was just open yeah. the, we'll, we'll talk about that but so, i didn't know he was so long that's all i remember i, I didn't know he was I, everybody talks about his his height being short and every article it's just they pound him for being sh- and, and it seems like they always mention five four and a half you never hear yeah. people add the half inch in the article they didn't five, he didn't get the paving treatment very paving got two inches <laughs> some people said he claimed he was five one listed as five one <laughs> in certain programs but i don't know five four and a half they, they were adamant to add that half inch in a lot of the writing okay all right you want me Let's to run it. down some some basics on on the woozy man yeah, let's do the the nuts and bolts. 
All right. So he uh, he grew up. He's in from Wales. He lived on the board. He grew up on the border of the of England and Wales. And uh, Sandy Lyle grew up in the same town. Essentially, he was on the other side of the border. Um, right. And he, it, you know, Lyle and and Woozy couldn't be more different. Lyle was the son of a golf pro. Uh, Woozy was the son of a farmer. So he grew up the son of a farmer working on a farm. Um, to go down the list of his his golf accomplishments, he got to yep. world number one. He was there for fifty weeks. He won. Uh, he won. 50 times, over 50 times in his career. He's got the most wins of any Englishman. Most professional golf tournament wins on tour than any British male golfer. British. British, so, not English. Yeah, yeah British. Wales, okay. England. Um, yeah. So so he's uh, he, he played on eight consecutive Ryder Cup teams. Really the turnaround, which we'll get into. Yes. Like when this became a thing, he was part of that core group. First player to win the World Match Play Championship in three decades. He won the Order of Merit twice in 87 and 90. Um, he had 28 official European Tour titles, I think. I, I think that's correct. Um, he won two Volvo PGA Championships, which is the European PGA Championship. And it's important to note at this time, you know, like when he was playing... Europeans were not playing the majority of the U.S. majors. Like they, they, the only people getting in, uh, invited to the Masters and the yeah. U.S. Open were last year's money winner. So yeah. they, you know, Woozy didn't get to play in the Masters and the PGA er, in the U.S. Open for like a good chunk of his prime. Yeah, I mean, this is again prior to our generation, really. But just reading about some of this, even mm-hmm. like Thomas Bjorn, Thomas Bjorn, like late nineties, I think it was mid. That they're getting like they're burned, they're pissed off. They're like, I just had an awesome year. I didn't get invited to the yeah. woozy, you know, the Masters, U.S. Open. Yeah. So the PGA, I think, was the first state side. For example, major. so in eighty-seven, woozy won seven times. Yeah, and he this was before the rankings. Wasn't eighty-seven? The biggest money season in the history of golf. I didn't he win. Uh, I think so because he won a million dollars. That's summer. South Africa. Yeah. We'll talk about that. He got crushed for that for playing very, in South. Africa. Very controversial. It's like uh, the guy's going to Saudi right now, basically. So yeah. Um, it, so in '87, he didn't play the Masters or the U.S. Open. The next year, he finally got invited to the Masters for the first time, but he still didn't get invited to the the U.S. Open. The guy won seven times. Yeah, it, and it's just it's just kind of a crazy thing to think about, you know. Yeah, he d- yeah. his best year of his career, he didn't get invited to the Masters or the U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, so it's an important thing to just note uh, about about these guys and looking at their long term legacy is that they didn't get the opportunities to play the majors that the Americans did. What's crazy then is the Masters was won by these guys. What was it, six out of nine years between mm-hmm. Faldo twice, Lyle, ba- Loner? Yeah, basically the, the ball. first times they could play. Yeah. Um, so players to win the Masters and the PG- European PGA Championship. Arnold Palmer, Nick Faldo, Seve, Maria, uh, Jose Maria, Bernie, Ian Woosnam, Angel Cabrera, and Danny Willett. So those are the only guys to do that. Um oh. So he uh, he was part of the big five. Didn't want to play the PGA Tour, really. 
No. Well, we're on the subject of not going to the Amer- uh, the states for majors. Like it was a thing he didn't actively try to do. He won he, once, right? He won New Orleans, Zurich, or whatever it used to be called. Yeah, a couple weeks before the Masters. 91. Mm-hmm. And then didn't play. There's a lot of articles like, I'll play five events in the majors. Once he got actually access to them in the 90s, late 80s. We'll get into it, but very Nicholas Colstarts-esque with his yes. a- approach towards golf in America. And American culture in general. So, um, So the big five was this European uh, group of players that were all born within 11 months and really radically changed the sport in Europe, uh, especially with the Ryder Cup. So it was Seve, Faldo, Bernhard Langer, uh, Sandy Lyle, and Woozy. So Woozy and, and Lyle were essentially from the same town, born three weeks apart. Um so this was uh, Chubby Chandler from a Global Golf Post uh, article on on the Big Five. Okay. You knew Seve was special. You knew Woozy was normal. <laughs> you knew Sandy was Sandy. You knew Faldo was a prick, and you knew Longer had fortitude. They they were very different, but they all had one common thing: they all had a big heart and big balls. Pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's amazing it's it's so, so they this whatever we will do the Ryder cup but it's amazing some of like the guys that like filled in the gaps on those teams that you know it's they made the Ryder cup competitive with the really a, a core five and maybe like seven or eight guys that were you know worthy of playing in it and then they filled in the gaps with these names you never heard of yeah so um so he uh peak so his peak I would say he had a five-year, six-year run, 86 to 91. That's six okay. years, right? I always have trouble. With it. I think five. it's six. Five? five. All right. I mean, if you're counting through 91, then probably six, right? Through 91. This is not good. Okay. So he, he won 20 times. He had 15 runner-ups, 38 other top 10s in 148 events. Jeez. Great player. Yeah. So here's uh here's from that Hopkins Global Golf Post article on the Big Five. It was really I enjoyed reading it. Um, his swing is so oily. Bob Torrance, the father of tour player Ryder Cup captain Sam Torrance, and for some time Woosnam's co- coach once said, "Barely five feet five inches tall." See, they gave him the extra half inch. Yeah. Uh, Woosnam could at his peak hit the ball huge distances. He was a golf writer. Uh, uh, he was a golf writer once known as very long off the tee and very short on it. Um, and his ball, st- <laughs> and his ball striking was sublime. Billy Foster, the caddy who worked for many of the top players, including Ballesteros, Darren Clark, Lee Westwood, and Tiger Woods, said, "I started caddying in the early '80s, and undoubtedly, for the first ten years, Ian Woosnam had the most impressive ball strike, uh, ball flight, and his shot making skills were second to none." When I talk about the best ball striker I have ever seen, the first name that springs to mind is Woozy. Wow. Best ball striker he's ever seen. That includes Tiger. Wow. I uh, I read art. That's amazing. I, uh, for those of us in our 30s and maybe who didn't really watch him much in action or watch him when we could really take it in, it's kind of amazing to hear that. About 5'4". Five four and a half. Son of a farmer. Yeah. 
So do you want to get into his upbringing? Yeah, but one more time while we're on the subject of like kind of extreme or I don't know, the most complimentary comparisons you can get. I found a Shipnuck article, which he was just basically trolling all the Europeans for not winning the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, it has been said that Ian Woosnam has the best swing since Sam Snead. So apparently like in the moment, in the 90s, like this was the thing. You talk about whatever now, Usti or Adam Scott, like they were talking about woozy in this way. Like this is the swing we all want. So best it's, ball strike you've ever seen. It's, uh, he, uh, oily, oily, oily swing. Let's, um, let's talk about his story. There's some like VJ stuff here. Like, oh in yeah. In terms of the rags to riches type upbringing. Uh, it's kind of amazing. So what we, what we're learning is. It's, um, it might be something that we're, we're seeing as a trend. I was wondering about that. Alimony is kind of the outlier as well, a guy. Well, but he who... he didn't live up to what he should have been. That's true, right? Mm-hmm. There might be something in this greatness thing where, like, it, I think like Davis Love would be another example. Never, you know, we'll get into Davis Love in a future episode, but never did what he what people expected him to do. Yeah, it could be. Uh, All right, incredible, incredible story. We're talking about. A guy who's 5'4", who grew up on a farm, becoming like this exemplary ball striker, the best ball striker ever. The guy grew up in a farm, yes. son of a farmer. Long to be a sportsman. <laughs> Long to be a sportsman. He was a boxer first. His dad was a boxer, right? Or yeah. His dad was like a, a pugilist. <laughs> these guys are all these hot-headed little brawlers. Well, brawlers. there's something about the whole well being a Welshman, and he hit yes, on it in this yes. John Huggan article. Maybe it, well, this is a good spot to start. Um, okay. okay. Where where he said, um, you know, are you the best Welsh player? Uh, oh, here you've been through a lot. As you look back on your career, what what does it mean to be Welsh? I'm not sure I can explain it. It's in me, and it's another uphill battle. It's little Wales against big England or big America. Uh, and then he goes, how would you describe the Welsh character? Competitive, aggressive, emotional. So this is little, little uh, woozy. Did you hear what his dad said? I think this was a Sarah Ballard article in SI. Uh-huh. Being a Welshman is a disadvantage for a sportsman. <laughs> yes. They are really an excitable people. <laughs> it's taken Ian 11 years to get where he is, and I could never understand why. He was much better than others but they used to qualify and he couldn't i think it was his nervousness and his welsh breeding (laughs) (laughs) his dad sounds like an amazing character too Uh, the farmer so he was a you know he was a fighter so a boxer and his parents wouldn't let him he's like no you can't you know seek this you're going to be a farmer and so i think that influenced how he, he let, well, he used to bo- he used to knock every kid out. The kids yes, wouldn't box against yes. him. <laughs> There's one story about how he knocked out his brother and his t- two twins. Like three brothers were lying on the ground at the same time. So Harold Harold Woosnam, his his parents wouldn't let him like chase his dream of becoming a boxer. So he let Ian kind of he kind of I think they the implication is he gave Ian a little bit more free reign. It wasn't going to force him to work on the farm mm-hmm. his whole life. Um, Let's get to it. He said yeah. he, he got straws. He's this enormous big hitter at 5'4". He credits it to like power steering on yeah, the tractor. There's no power steering on there the tractor. There was no, no power steering on the tractor. And bailing it and, uh, and tossing bales of hay. 
so he's Non-stop. like stop. That's why he said I hit it so far. He developed these massive leg and arm muscles. Like you know, people talk about how big his arms were, and he was yeah. he was tossing seventy pound bales of hay around all day when he was growing up. Yep, and he also credits that with like totally messing up his back by the time he was older. But yeah. yes, it's just this little woozy. So at school, Ian played soccer. This is from Sarah Ballard's SI article. Yeah. Soccer and basketball, <laughs> threw the javelin, ran sprints and did gymnastics. In spite of his size, he was reasonably good at all of them. And this is woozy. I enjoyed school, but only for the sport. That's all I went for. I wasn't too clever in school. <laughs> <laughs> so he was also a little bit of a fighter too, right? Not yes. quite to the level of his dad, but, but he got into boxing. So uh, he left home at 16. Yep. He, he was, became pretty good at golf and he started traveling. His dad started, changed the farming practices. They got rid of his cows. Right. He so switched he could travel from dairy more. to grain. Yeah. So that so they they wouldn't have to be there as much. It's like I got into cereal, as he called it. <laughs> so he left home at sixteen, became a greenskeeper and a bartender. Here's woozy. Them was the wild days. Them was discos <laughs> every was. night and drinking beer. But it was good fun. I was going out, but I was practicing a lot, working at my game pretty hard. But I wasn't giving myself a chance. I was messing around too much. It wasn't until I was eighteen that I got down to it. <laughs> I just have to say, I loved the articles that didn't clean up the transcription, and the ones that the ones that did pissed me off. Them was the wild days, or it's like because my is a word that doesn't exist. It's always like me went to me farm. You know, I hate I, 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 that's the real flavor. I like the real transcriptions. Um, all right, what else? Can um, we just say so, something about the course he grew up on, though, real yeah. quick? How it straddles like the actual border. It's like, yeah, three holes played in England. Then, oh, this is horrible oh, pronunciation. Th- I, I looked at the pronunciation. I, I so said, many I'm consonants. not even going to try it. Flanamonic. Flanamonic. <laughs> has 15 holes in Wales, two in England, and one on the border. So he's literally he's living in this Western farm, Western England farm town with the course on the border. And, and, and Lyle grew up in that other town. Yes. Right next to it. So when did Lyle become a Scot? Because he's a Scotsman. He moved, obviously. Must have moved up, up to Scotland. Whatever. Okay. So, um, he was always... So, th- this is him and him and uh, Lyle. He was always okay. in a league a, li- a, a bit better than me, playing for England when I was sort of just struggling around, says Woosom. Lyle was as big, easygoing, as pro- promising as Woosom was small, temp- uh, tempestuous, and self emo- em- Self immolated. See, this is uh, this is too many big words for me. (laughs) Even as a junior, Lyle never threw a club. Wisdom not only threw them all the time, he says, but beat, (laughs) bent, snapped, and kicked them as well. (laughs) His mother Joan cringes at the memory when he used to play for Wales and was well in the lead, and he'd make a bad shot. Oh, it was terrible. (laughs) I used to be ashamed to go around with him. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Then, like, so as he was doing the mini tour circuit, what was it? He, he went around in a VW camper, right? Yes. So that was it, like, okay, go t- ahead. He turned pro at 18, and his local club raised 500 pounds for him. His dad went to the local club, 
It got so. 500 pounds. It lasted four events. <laughs> he said, I only qualified once in four tournaments, and I didn't win any money. After that, he was on his own. So he was living in a camper, but his big break, he got this sponsorship from MTM. Did you see this? Yes. MTM yes. Engineering. Can we just talk about it yeah. real quick before yes. we proceed? So 16 years old. Yes. 16. We're talking about now he's 18. He's like this weathered veteran. 16, he quits school and he goes to like 10 bar at a golf club. He goes, then was the wild days. 16 was the wild days. And 18 is when he really got down to it. It's just kind of the accelerated timeline of this kid in the West on a farm. So go ahead. All right. So, so he's in the camper. He gets a sponsorship from this company. MTM Engineering of Oswetry, which is his hometown. Yep. Sponsor him $5,000 for 50% of Woozy's post expenses earnings. So for two years, they got nothing back. Yeah. And then year three, MTM is like going out of business. They're yeah. calling him every week, like, asking him for money. <laughs> <laughs> and they, he says they were desperate for money by that time. They were ringing me up in the middle of tournaments wanting some money. So in the third year of the arrangement, uh, Woozy won over... A thousand pounds and returned thirty thousand of it to MTM. They went bust, and I was just starting, but they got back double what they gave me anyway. He says, "If it weren't for them, maybe I wouldn't be where I am now." They gave me a chance to play. So this little engineering company, yeah, I think they made wool or something. Do you think that could happen today? I mean, it seems like just like agents, like. Uh, I mean, how many? One out of one out of ten thousand. You back? Who's the guy? Silverman. No become... Silverman had kind of a story like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. It's amazing. We talk about. I mean, VJ being sort of a hidden treasure, and that hurt him. He didn't get to play until he was like thirty. What Woozy's? You know, different obviously he's uh, he's trying at 18 and he's got more exposure being in more of a golf centric country it, it's just interesting that the path that eventually getting not even he doesn't even get into the masters even when he does start to make it so it, you, like the, it, i think ahead. the thing the similarity just the financial burdens of playing like it's yeah. just it's not yeah. a it's not a cheap sport to play as a as a aspiring pro and if you don't come from money you're at a severe disadvantage and he lucked out to having the dad who had kind of gotten his dream def- denied by his parents being like hey i'm not going to make you work on the farm you appear to be pretty good at golf which they started out just as a father-son hobby you know when they were done on the farm so okay. you want to talk about the safari tour yeah let's talk about the safari tour this is where you, I mean, you're talking about, he goes through Britain in this camper, eating nothing but baked beans in a VW camper, living in the camper with his buddy, just as you're talking, trying to make any money, getting the, giving this company no returns. And so he finally like, what, he transitions to safari tour in, in Nigeria, Kenya. I think, so I think that the, so here's some quotes from about the camper. Yeah. Do you have these quotes? Uh, Probably not. Maybe. Okay. Go ahead. It was. Hey, so here's Woozy. It's impossible to do it now, but that's the way it was in those days. The tour wasn't that long. It was ab- about four months long, but I did uh, live off baked beans and bacon. 
A guy named Joe Higgins used to travel around with me. I would drive. He couldn't drive. So I would drive and he'd be <laughs> cooking the baked beans on the passenger seat. Oh, my God. You, you used to lift it up and the cooker was underneath the seat. <laughs> it was a great time. Great experience. I put thousands and thousands of miles on that thing. I remember one time driving from Inverness all the way to Milan. It took three days to drive, and it was oh, nonstop to get to a qualifier. So then the car broke down. This is amazing. <laughs> the van yeah. broke down, and he went to like five different mechanic shops. Yeah, they couldn't fix it, so he got a ride on the hand, the <laughs> front <laughs> handlebars of Milan, in Milan, riding to a qualifier. <laughs> this was this was. I found this late, just before we started recording. It just cracked. The image of Woozy on the handlebars of a bike riding through the streets of Milan on the front handlebars to get to his tea time. Just incredible stuff. So, so I mean, like, imagine this little, the little wee Welshman, and he even says, I wish there was a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, on the handlebars. <laughs> All right, let's do so Safari goes, Tour. So he goes to the Safari Tour in 81. Which uh, VJ also went to Safari Tour when he was looking for a place to play. So it all was right. like Nigeria, Kenya. I mean, all these. Yeah. It, it, and the mosquitoes were just terrible. Did you hear, see the read one anecdote? The guy yes. didn't have a mosquito net in his uh, hotel. <laughs> so he slept in the bathtub with the water full because the mosquitoes were eating him alive. <laughs> he slept in his bathtub. Sounds dangerous. In the water. Okay. Here's Woozy. It was a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> You'd get diarrhea, and the weather was so bad. I was fortunate. I always had a place to pay, play. So many lads went out there one time. There wasn't enough people to house them, and they got stuck at a hotel without air conditioning and mosquito nets. I remember one poor lad. He slept in the bath and water. He couldn't get the mosquitoes away. <laughs> so he almost quit after this year on the safari tour. Yeah, yep. He finished 90, like seventh or eighth on the money list. Yes, the first one he like needed. You needed some threshold. I don't know. It was top five. You get an entry into the Italian Open, right? And then mm-hmm. you work your way from that. But eighty two was when he came back. Yeah, so he raided him. his temper. He he hit. Yeah. he hit balls next to. This is a good anecdote, Gordon uh, Brand. Yes, and he watched. Woozy was just flagging him on the range, and this guy yeah. was hitting him all over the place. <laughs> he talks about this. <laughs> Gordon Brand, he's like, he's hitting the, the boundary fence 30 yards to the right. He's all over the place. And I'm just flagging him. He shoots 68. And I shoot 74, whatever the quote was. He's so, that's when he changed his attitude. So, yeah, he talked to Gordon Brand. And, and, and Brand's like, you got to just let these little things go. You yeah. know, you got to acknowledge that you're going to hit four really bad shots every round. Four bad shots. That was Brand's motto or, you know, MO. I mean, he, you get four bad shots. So he came out with this whole new perspective after talking yeah. to, and this is when the whole career turns around. Yeah, the, the he finally gets rid of that temper that his mother talked about. Yep. Um, so eighty-two, he finished third on the African tour, the Safari tour. Yeah, which qualified him for the Italian Open, tied for second in the Italian Open, and, and then that, that was his yeah. breakthrough. He wins the a uh, few months later. He wins the Swiss Open. Any um, other safari tour stuff you want to go through? That Gordon Brand anecdote was like really fantastic. So here's a great um, tidbit about Woozy talking about his his temperament. Yeah, and, and he talked about Lyle 
in it. He goes, I think you've got to have a fiery temperament, though. If you're bad-tempered, you've got that drive to win. There's not one top professional I know of who hasn't got a bad temper. They're holding it in all the time. The only one, I suppose, that hasn't is Lyle. In fact, if Sandy had a temper, he'd be the best player in the world. Yeah. So there is that, like, this vacillation between, you know, his dad talking about his Welsh breeding being against him and and Woozy at the end of his career or in the middle in his best days saying the temper is really why he was good. So if you're a golfer and you're not breaking clubs or throwing clubs, you might not be good. We can talk a little bit about this uh, Lyle thing. Okay. Now, so in Bamberger's book, To the Lynxland, which is a wonderful yep. read, I highly awesome. recommend it. But Bamberger's time as a Euro Tour caddy. Yeah. And it, so he he was short on money. His player was taking a break. or his, No, he was short on money. So he, com- Golf Digest, after Woozy wins the Masters, commissions him to go write a profile piece. Oh, so he okay. spends a week. His wife, he was traveling with his wife. His wife went to like Morocco and he went to Woozy's town, hometown, okay. for a okay. week to write this profile. <laughs> and Woozy doesn't grant him the interview the whole time he was there. He said he was tired of talking to reporters. Oh, so he spends the whole week with his dad. Harold, Harold. Harold Wisdom. And he learns all this stuff about like the relationship with Sandy and how... He, he, Woozy was just essentially like always living in Sandy's shadow growing up and how yep. tough it was for him. And, and he, you know, and how Woozy just like coming from nothing, all yep. Woozy cared about, like what he associated. And this was really interesting. So when he was coming up, he associated pressure, and this was Harold, he always associated pr- uh, professional golf with money. We grew up on a farm. We weren't poor, but we didn't have any money. Money mattered, mattered a great deal to us. The guy he admired most was the guy who won the most money. He figured that the man who with who made the most money was the best player. When he finished first on the Order of Merit in 87, he won over 400,000 pounds, and he thought he had really made it. Then last year, he won the Order of Merit again and this was 90, and this time it was over 700,000 pounds, but it wasn't as satisfying. He saw what Faldo had done winning the Open Championship and the Masters in the same year. He saw that people attached more value to that financially and in terms of prestige, attached more value. uh, I think it made him think about the majors in a different way. He certainly didn't grow up hearing about the majors. Three of them are American anyhow, right? I can't say that I even can name the four majors. This is Harold. He can't name the four majors at this time. Yeah. But he caught on as the value of them. He he got it in his head that he had to win a major. So he didn't get, he didn't think he had to win a major till he was in 1990. Yeah. Um, And that's the way he is. He gets these ideas in his head and then he makes them happen. I'm going to make a living playing golf. I'm going to finish first on the Order of Merit. I'm going to win a major. Amazing. So, woozy. kind of amazing stuff. Uh, all right. What do you want to do next? We've got. Do we have the upbringing? We we got. So he gets out of the safari tour. His really his first big year was '87. Would you say? Uh, I, I mean, I it's mean, his first won. really like. Yeah, he won, but prior to that, the '87s like he's he, he won the two man. times in '86 and then seven times in '87. 
And All that right. was, I think, again, 87 was just a forceful year. Do you want to, can we talk about why it was a forceful year? That yes. John Hogan interview? Did you see that on New Year's Eve night? Yeah, I saw, yeah, I didn't write it down. So ridiculous. So this is his best year of his career. Hogan asked him about 87. He goes, it started right at the start of the year. It was almost midnight on December 31st. This is the most wisdom anecdote. I was at a party and someone said, why don't you hit a drive? Why don't you drive in the new year? So I did. He hits a drive to start the new year. Something clicked on that shot. I had to stand steady because I didn't have golf shoes on. There you go. Anti-golf shoes. I had to stand steady because I didn't have golf shoes on. I tried to stay on my back foot a little longer. I could feel it worked. The next day I played and hit it fantastic and I never looked back. So Woozy, probably, you know, a little overserved at this point, driving in the new year. He credits it with the greatest, you know, maybe the best year of his career. 87. Kind of an amazing anecdote. All right. So he wins seven times. Most, what was it? The most earnings ever, worldwide yeah, earnings most, ever to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the and a lot of a million of them came from South Africa tournament, which was this was in the middle of the apartheid. Yeah. So yeah, I read a couple articles on this. It was, I mean, like it's basically it's very analogous now, except for the underlying issues to the Saudi Arabia thing going on, where um, obviously the apartheid and whatever the, the issues in Saudi Arabia are very different. But like Sun City was this sporting area that they were offering just gobs of cash and there was a, for entertainers athletes um sort of a, to use as like a shield for all the criticism of apartheid and maybe normalize the country a little bit more and you know some tennis stars would go arthur ash was obviously a big like leader and boycotting you know i saw like springsteen i don't, I don't think went but uh boozy woozy went curtis strange went lanny watkins went this like eight-man event and the winner won a million dollars, which then at that time was like enormous. And he got crushed for going. Um, uh, his quote was, everyone dreams of billing. He wins. It beats Watkins Strange, this eight-man event in Sun City. Everyone dreams of being a millionaire. If the tax man is not harsh on me, I might have just done it. <laughs> so, but he gets crushed. He goes, the plucky little, a big day for the little guy. This is a LA Times column. A big day for the little guy and another bad day for a lot of black people. Was a LA Times columnist at that time. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was 87. That was kind of a windfall at the end there. Anything else on 87? Yeah, all the, yeah. Volvo, so, right? He beats, he beats uh, Lyle. So, so this was the, uh, the world match play at match Wentworth. Play. So he, he, uh, he beat Lyle in the but final. So then, yeah. So Just, he, he beat Faldo and Seve. To, incredible. To, yeah. He he played. I mean, amazingly, he never won a Ryder Cup singles match. He was incredible in the team yes, play. Yes. He, his team play records like the best of any player. Yes. But then he was just he never won for some reason. But then he won three. He won this world match play individual match play tournament three times. Yes. In three decades. Was it match play at the end? The last one. Yeah. Okay, so he won that that specific event because Wentworth. I get him confused with the PGA. The no, so this play. was okay. a match play champion, world okay. match play championship. The PGA he won twice. Okay, got it. Um, got it. So I, here's a here's the a great, just a great tidbit. I I think this is from John Garrity's uh, piece. 
Woosnam would bite your shins in a, yeah. in a pub crawl if you crossed him. But at 33, he has learned to channel his spiciness. He no longer breaks clubs over his knees or gets booked for racing his Porsche through the, the Shropshire night at more than 120 miles per hour. Let's talk about that. The more angry I get, the better I play, he said on one more, um, more than one occasion this week. All right, so 87, dominant year. Doesn't play, not dominant, eh, dominant, right? Was he seven order wins? of merit? Order of merit, right? Yeah, seven wins? Yeah. That, that's dominant. Did not play the Masters or the U.S. Open in 87. I mean, like, how many players have won more than seven times in a year? It can't be. No, not tonight. Tiger and VJ, obviously, or two that Ernie, Ernie won yeah. seven times, I think, in a year. Uh, Norman probably did, you know. It's it's not a long list. Okay, so eighty seven, so eighty eight. He starts to incorporate a little bit more of, of the states into his schedule, and I found this. He played the players in eighty eight. I found the Sun Sentinel article. You talk about biting shins and things. The writing on Woozy is just every time they immediately go for the jugular with his height. It's just here's the lead, standing five foot four and weighing one sixty one. So they didn't give him the half inch there. Ian Woosnam resembles a stocky jockey. American golf fans who survey for the first time, this is like a preview of the players in 88. For the first time, the swinging Smurf from across the Atlantic tend to call him cute, adorable, and harmless. At the Ryder Cup matches last year, so this is 87, one U.S. fan caught his first glimpse of Woosnam, shook his head, and exclaimed, why, he's just a boy. <laughs> Woosnam stepped to the first tee, hit his drive 50 yards past Faldo and the two U.S. stars in the group. Turned, winked at the gallery and say, wait until I grow up. <laughs> Such an amazing comeback. So he did this whole, with Monty, you know, going back at the crowd. He went at back at the crowd. We'll talk about the Masters in a minute. He went at back at the crowd when they would kind of piss him off. He's this feisty little Welshman. There's just so much. Here's what Norman called him in this 88 players preview. He's a combination of Lanny Watkins and Seve Ballesteros is what Norman said. He's aggressive and confident. I think he finally realizes how good he can be. Because I want to show Americans there are other players across the Atlantic. My ambition is to be number one in the world, which he did. To become that, I feel like I must play in America. I've come over to compete against the best players in the world. Um, But he only did it. He did like Bay Hill. He would do like a couple around the Masters, and then he was out in the majors. You know, one other big thing about that that 87 year is he won the World Cup. With uh, with uh, another, it was the first time Lyle, Wales right? won the World Cup. No, no with, they be, oh. he beat he beat Lyle, beat Lyle and uh, Sam Torrance. Yes, so like yes. it was yes. it was yes. just a huge deal for Wales. Yes. You know, yes. like always in the shadow of of England. You know, little Wales against big big England right. and big right. America. Right. So, so to just re- do you want to talk about how he never really took to the states? Real quick, yeah, while we're on yeah. the 88 player, he goes, my family is in Europe is more important to me than playing full-time over here. Uh, I need to play here, but I don't feel I have to be number one in America. Number one in America to be number one in the world. So he never felt the pull to kind of set up shop or, or go there for more than a handful of weeks. He, he We'll get to his party in life, but he dogged it quite a bit. You know, just saying like everywhere is the same. The players don't um, hang out. Like, Everybody's spread out, so like you, you can't, you, you can't. In your on the European tour, we're kind of all staying in the same place, and you can go and have find guys to have beers with. Um, what else on America do you got? 
Um, so yeah, it just that he just didn't like it. He he, fo- he goes. I found not real. This is John Huggin. I've been over there four or five weeks at a time and found that every city was the same. The players are all over, so there's no atmosphere at night. <laughs> Never really took to it. It's kind of like Nicholas Colesar. It's talking about every Caesar salad. I I think the other thing about him was he wasn't big on the spotlight, and yes. we see that after the Masters win, it kind of like. He kind of lost interest. He just didn't like the fame. He said something uh, here. He said, pretty true. I try and be normal. And this is from the Hugging article. I don't go around saying I'm a top golfer and I want this and I want that. I just want yep. to walk into a bar and merge into the background. That's one great thing, uh, one great thing about uh, living here on Jersey. I can do that. No one ever bothers me. I'm just a working class lad with talent. I wish I could have made it to the top of golf without having to be famous, but that's impossible, and sometimes it's annoying. You know. You mentioned that about Jersey. It's, so Jersey, I was not familiar with. It's like this tax haven island in the English Channel, which he said he would never move. He'd never move out of home because he's like, I'll pay my taxes. This is where I want to be. You know, the western Wales and kind of the farming area. But he talked about how. He started getting heckled back home, yeah. and now that people wanted him to buy his drinks, like he, people expected me to buy the drinks, people would heckle me when I go out to the bar, and that was part of like the move to Jersey, be more anonymous. Yeah, he was like everybody expected me to pick up every tap. Yeah, yeah, and they'd shout at him walking in the streets, and he just wanted to be more anonymous. All right, anything else on eighty-eight? Should we get to ninety-one Masters? We're kind of skipping ahead. Do you have anything yeah. else from that eighty-seven? All right. Um, well, one thing on the World Cup, so yep. there it, it was seventy-two holes of team match play. It was just you know aggregate score, two man. So they yep. tied Scotland, um, won that, but then um, they beat U.S. The U.S. team was Payne Stewart and Ben Crenshaw. You know, just lots of lots of great players in this and the individual competition. So there's individual two. Woozy won by five. Wow! Wow! Amazing. Yeah, he had some dominant stretch. Yeah, dominant it, stretches. We talked a little bit about this, um, but like on the last show about how like great players can just win by a lot. Yeah. He had so right. many wins of like five, four, five, six, seven shots. It's it's crazy. You know, like I would say the yeah. vast majority of his, his wins were three shots or more. When I was researching this, I also came across all, a lot of the balls 12-shot win at Firestone. Oh, my God. Like, blew my mind. I was just thinking about that while we're on the subject, you know. We'll get to him eventually, but yeah. Uh, all right, 91 Masters. So, his one and only major championship beats Tom Watson, and they aforementioned a lot of the ball. Uh, what do you want to do with this? Where do you want to go? You you want me to take it away? Yeah, start get, go, and I'll, uh, I'll add color in. So this is Jaime Diaz. Um, he talked about, you know, I've watched the scene. I've watched that scene of making the winning putt on the 18th at the Masters so many times after he won. 33-year-old son of a farmer. Never, ever in my heart did I ever feel I would be a part of it. So this is, Faldo had won back-to-back. Lyle mm-hmm. had won before him. So this is four in a row for this kind of big five. And then coming shortly after would be Loner again. And... uh a lot of the ball, 94. Americans were pissed off. The fans, or you mean the players? Of the fans. Okay, so let's get to it. He held a three-shot lead, woozy, on the par five, on the 13th hole. 
And he's just trying to like murder the ball. He's this five four guy draw drawing the shit out of the ball, trying to murder it, and he hooks it hard into the trees at at thirteen. Uh, this is after Watson made a uh, so the fans are all for Tom Watson. Watson made a double, hit it in the drink on twelve, hit it in the race creek on twelve. Woozy hits it in the water on thirteen, just hooks the hell out of it, makes a bogey there. But when he hooked his tee shot, uh, his fans started cheering. They were happy, allegedly. You know, Augusta, you never cheer by at shots. Francesco Molinari's ball in the water got cheered last year. It happens every now and then. And this, like, really pissed Woozy off. He's like, I thought my ball kind of, like, got, got knocked out to a good spot based on the cheers. But no, he went down and found it in, in the in the creek, in the water. And this, like, you know, he's this tempestuous little Welshman. This, like, kind of burned in him. And he makes bogey. Uh Watson makes eagle. So it's like a three-shot swing. The crowd's just going absolutely nuts. And this Watson. was right after Watson rinsed it on 12. Yeah. I, yeah. So Watson rinsed it on 12, then makes eagle. Woozy hooks one off the tee. Watson made eagle on 15, too. And then he eagles 15, which they started comparing to, like, Sarazen's, like, finish. He eagles 13 and 15. Watson had two doubles on the back nine. Yeah. Second nine, I should say. And, you know, was still there at, at the last. Um, so then he gets, so, so they're cheering his, his misfire on 13. Uh, then on 14, uh, he goes, I play better when someone gets my back up. I hit a good drive up for, so, Wusa, so <laughs> on, on 14th tee, you know, they're all fired up after Watson makes the Eagle. Someone said like, this isn't a Lynx course. Woozy and uh, he like pounds his drive up the middle. He goes, "What do you think of that?" He goes back <laughs> at the crowd. He goes back at the crowd all the time. It sounds like, "What do you think of that?" And it said Watson was like great to him. They played together. Yeah, Watson was like, "Don't pay attention to the crowd." Uh, he apologized for the heckling. He said, "I know what it was like because I played with Jack at, at Augusta and Jack." Had to play with Arnold. It's kind of like this this chain on down the line. And Woozy said in an article that Watson was like his golfing idol. Oh, he did. Growing because like he, he the opens where he was winning, he was in and Watson was always his golf idol. Okay, so this was a big deal to him. There was reports that he went into the crowd on the fourteenth day. And he, I guess he that denies was this. True. He denies this. Time. Tom told me not to pay notice to them, which was nice of them. Um, <laughs> but he did say that said the Ryder Cup at Brookline was disgraceful. If it had been me, I'd have been in the crowd. He did say Brookline was the one time it would have been in the crowd. <laughs> Woozy. Uh, all right. So 14, you know, Watson then Eagles. He had a three shot lead on the 13th tee, but they were tied. He's tied with Watson in the lava ball by the 16th tee, I want to say. Molothabal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lava ball. I don't uh, know. I hear it pronounced so many I different ways. I every time. I think the I think the first part of the uh, the Jose Maria episode is going to be we're going to have an expert <laughs> pronunciation specialist on just to inform us. It's going to be so the three first shot- thing is getting the pronunciation right. Three shot lead at at thirteen T is all ever three guys tied at sixteen. Uh, all right, how does it go from there? It's basically down to the 18th yeah, tee, so right? Yeah, so 18, uh, Jose, Maria, Watson, and uh, Woozy are all Oh, one all more, tied. one more, one more real quick. From Garrity's article, 
He was bristling over another taste of American jingoism at the 10th hole, where spectators had rooted for his ball to roll off the green and down a hill, which it had done. (laughs) So 10th hole, they rooted for his ball to roll off the green. 13, they're cheering his hard hook into the woods and water. And 14, he's, you know, on the tee box getting it. Okay, so 18. So 18, so Jose Maria's in the group ahead. He hits it into the bunker on the left. Um, and he gets in trouble, makes bogey. All right. Yep. So Woozy could see him struggling out of the bunker, hit a bad shot. Watson's first to play, and he pulls three wood, which Woozy thought yes. was a big mistake because he he's three like wood. he, he well, and Woozy's so long, he's just like he acts like the bunkers aren't a aren't a problem yeah. for Watson, which they probably were. But he he said yeah. the I thought the play was either iron. Short of the bunkers or th- or driver pass it, and he hit three wood, and he hit it into the woods on the right. So Woozy pulls driver. So Watson's like way in the woods. Yeah, Try, he's trying to hit a fade off the bunkers, right? With the three mm-hmm. wood. Okay, yeah, and goes in the woods. All right. So Woozy just pulls out driver and just smashes it. Hit a little hook over the bunkers. Two seventy five carry. I mean, yep, this, carried this, it. This, this, I had two sixty for that. Or 260 carry, but he knew he could carry it 275. Yeah. Which is like prodigious at this point. This is a crazy carry. This is 5-4. This is Balada persimmon driver. 260 carry was huge. The no power steering on the tractors came in handy on the 18th tee at Augusta. He doesn't even care about left. I mean, Watson's in the woods on the right. He's just hooking it. I'm going to hook. I'm not going to fade it up this fairway. He could hit a fade, but his his pre- predominant tee shot was like a five yard draw. Yeah. So okay. um, he just smashes it up there. Watson's just making a mess. He's got like a he gets stuck in the trees, and he he ends up having like a six footer for bogey. Woozy hits it on the, just off the green. Do you have this quote? Can I just so he hit it so far left? They took like the biggest concern was five minutes getting the thousands of gallery relocated. So just no no concern because you know they don't have like eight inch rough over there, right? I mean he just hits it so far left. They just got to move the fans. He hits an I had an eight iron, one forty, yeah, but it doesn't get up to the top and rolls back fifty feet. So he's got fifty feet. Quote, I'd come up just short with my second, and the pin was in an awkward spot on the second tier. I thought, shall I chip or putt? I don't want to duff it straight in front of my face, so I'll putt. So he left himself eight feet. Eight and, feet for par to win the Masters. And it's like a famous thing. And and he thought it would be a three-way playoff because Watson had like a six-footer yes. or something. Yes. And yes. if he missed it, and, and, he, and he rammed it in. And uh, it was just like an edge putt. And then he, you know, the famous celebration, which down is down to his knee, yeah. fist out of on the cover of Sports Illustrated photo. Down, down to his knee, fist out, screaming. Like he an was. iconic Masters moment. I mean, you read about it. I, I didn't have time to watch this. I'm going to watch yeah. it probably tonight. Um, I want to watch it for the drive on 18 alone. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see how far left he went. And it, I mean, it's, it, people say this is one of the greatest Masters. Yes. Just because of the back nine drama, there were so many guys in it. Um, Watson yeah. making eagles in the crowd just losing. It's it's mine. Um, there's this great uh, quote from Garrity's article that I just found uh, yep. about Mickelson. Did you see this? 
Oh, about he's the next Jack yeah, Nicholas so or something. At, yeah, at the difficult 18th, Mickelson hit his approach six feet behind the hole. Faldo from the fairway bunker bounced his into the spectators left of the green. Result, Mickelson, a.k.a. the next Jack Nicholas, sauntered onto the green to a dream ovation. For his part, Faldo fussed with the gallery ropes in the, uh, gallery, ropes in the gallery thoroughly upstaged. The, two, yep. the d- two-time defending... Uh, yeah, master champion upstaged by Mickelson, the next Jack Nicholas. And Jack just Nicholas. speaking of like the seven wins, do you know how, the most wins that uh, uh, Phil ever had in his in a year? Are you, you're using this to detour into pop Phil. I'm just, no, I'm just I just want to put it in perspective. Seven wins. No, no. What's Four. the most he's ever had? Five. Four. Four. Okay. So like seven wins. But you're counting one of those seven as an eight-man field. Okay, so six wins. Fine. He had five on the Euro Tour alone, I think. Yeah, six wins. Okay, all right. Uh, All right, Masters. So he wins. Ricky counts counts his hero. (laughs) So Watson makes double on 18. Ollie makes bogey. Woozy makes his par um, with a famous photo. He goes, he goes, Afterwards, he goes, I'm not going to change my life for anybody. This is what Garrity's article. I just want, Woosnam said, as he celebrated with a beer at Augusta Hotel. I just want to be the best and do it my own little way. Drink a few beers and have fun. Did you hear about what happened after? Yes. Yes. I'll, I'll read it right now. Okay. After being jacketed by Faldo in the butler cabin and giving the obligatory media interviews, there was only one thought on his mind. I just wanted to have a few beers with the lads, but then I had to find out. I, then I found out I had to go to dinner at the golf club with the members. <laughs> so this is that fa- you know the famous uh, dinner with the members after you win. I had to wear the jacket, but they didn't have one to fit me. He's five four. For the ceremony, I had to wear someone else's. The guy who ran the press office, I think it was. Anyway, the wife and I went to dinner, and I remember the, the Augusta chairman Hord Harden asked me what bottle of wine I would like. This is. He had a 75 Chateau Rothschild, which was fantastic. And then about 11 o'clock, I went down to the Holiday Inn to see the lads. I eventually rolled in about one in the morning, completely knackered, although I didn't get a lot of sleep. But afterwards, so after he wins the Masters, this is from the same article, uh, goes, the ambition went out of my life a little bit. I should have said, let's carry on and try to win more majors, but I didn't. And with the press interest in that, I lost a bit of freedom. So that's Bamberger going to his his village for that for that whole week and not getting him to talk. The yeah, ambition got, went out he, of my life a little bit. He he gave Woozy he gave Woozy, Woozy gave him an interview like weeks later at a tournament. He was like, "I'm home right now. I just want to be home, and I don't want to talk about golf right now." And uh, it, the funny thing, so Woozy played on the Euro Tour the next week. I, after the here. masters yeah it's in here somewhere oh god he shot like 78 80 or something just just oh, got really? out of town <laughs> yeah oh. he showed up on wednesday he was at the holiday inn in augusta you know drinking all this monday into monday morning then he goes to the year tour yeah he he played the next week i i, I can't find uh where it is yeah, okay here. okay but he played the next week um and uh, he he missed the cut badly. Like he almost, okay. oh he shot eighty two eighty two. He missed the cut by eight shots, collected a six figure appearance fee, and split for home for uh, at, for a month. 
<laughs> so he went home for a month. That's great. 82, fu- 82. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was like, I felt like I was in the, so here's what, I got myself forked up to win a major who last month after he won in New Orleans, his first tour victory to the 24 others worldwide, he brashly declared himself number one in the world over Nick Faldo after winning in New Orleans. And then he so, became number one. I felt like I was the best player in the world. I felt like I had to prove what I said. And then he wins the Masters. Number one in the world. You said he was number one for 50 weeks? 50 weeks, yeah. So All right. I mean, and this was after, if you say 87 was his best year, you know, this is the year he won, uh, he won, he won five times in 90. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he won five times in 90, four times in 91. I mean, 20 wins from... 87 to 91 is insane. Did, like, think have, about that. Yeah. Yeah. He collected almost 1 million more in 87, 1 million more than Curtis Strange, which was the PGA Tour's leading money winner. I have eight tournaments worldwide and collected 1.8 Well, one of them, he, you, they counted the team, and if you count the team at the World Cup and the individual, it's eight. Okay. But if you okay. drop the team championship, it's seven. Got it. Which makes Got sense it. to do, right? All right. Yep. Yep. Um. So, so yeah, incredible year. Like, All right. I mean, in eighty nine, in eighty nine, he finished runner up six times. He only won once. He finished runner up six times. Um. Should we get into some controversy? Oh we'll yeah. Do, we'll do controversies. We'll do Ryder Cup, and we'll do the fifteenth club, and get out of there. Does that okay. sound good? We could Sounds go all day on with. So. He's boozy woozy for a reason. Nickname he didn't like. Uh, in '93, he was banned for driving for a three for a year for a DUI. Something you should not do. Don't drink and drive. But this was the second time he lost his license because in 1988, he was. Uh, this is from the Sarah Ballard SI article. After returning to England after the Ryder Cup, he was caught speeding 122 miles per hour in a souped-up Porsche outside of London. He goes, "I had never been stopped before." He said, "I guess the Bobbies hadn't seen the Ryder Cup on TV." They find me and lost my license. Real issues behind the wheel. There was a rumor that he was banned for driving forever in Wales because of like repeated DUIs, but I couldn't find that anywhere. Aside from the one-year ban for a 93 DUI. Um, he, he loved his Porsches. 2013, former U.S. Masters champion Woosnam spent a drunken night in the cells in Jersey before Christmas. Uh, the Welsh golfer was reported just after mid... was. Rested just after midnight, you know, he's picked up for, you know, just being drunk on the street. <laughs> um, he later apologized. That's whatever. That's nothing huge, but his autobiography, 2002, he admitted to disliking the nickname Boozy Woozies. I don't think it has done me much harm to be known as somebody who enjoys his beer. If it makes me seem like another, another ordinary guy enjoying himself, that's fine because that is what, because that is what I am. Here's, here he is to hugging. I'm a normal lad who drinks like a normal person. I don't drink more than two or three beers in the evening, maybe a glass of wine with my meal. If I had more than, I had more than that when I was younger, but I, I could do it. As long as I get eight hours sleep, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not one for all night. Two o'clock is late enough. 2 a.m. <laughs> eight hours uh, sleep. He's, he's getting Tiger's up getting at up at 2 a.m. to start stretching. It's never been a problem for me. I, I see it. 
as a way of getting a bit of relief from the golf and the pressures. If I'd done what Nick Faldo did and dedicated myself to golf completely, would I have won more majors? I don't even think of it. Off the course, we're completely different characters. I like smoking and drinking, and he's into the lemonade and off to the gym. <laughs> I love him talking about Nick Faldo lemonade. He's into the lemonade. There's There was some just fantastic Faldo stuff. <laughs> I couldn't have been that person even if I'd tried. There's, I'll do, give one Faldo si- snippet from that Big Five article, Global yeah. Golf Post article. Yeah, yeah. So yep. Faldo was like, I guess, like OCD out the ass. And there was like, a, he was staying at a host family and they're like, Nick, what time would you like breakfast? He goes, I'd like it served at 8, 12 a.m. And I guess he walked down at 8.12 on the dot. Oh, my God. Who is he allegedly very punctual, though? Yes. Apparently, that's like a big thing. You have to be on time. He hates people being late. Which is... uh, Dovetails into his caddy. Yeah, dovetails into his caddy. Dovetails into the 15th club at the 01 uh, Lytham. Duvall's win at Lytham. This is like... I mean, Woozy was not that form not the number one near the number one player in the world not in the 91 masters champion his last win on the european tour was what 97 volvo pga mm-hmm. um so all of a sudden he's uh 2001 open championship like the one he would want to win he's in the second to last group but he didn't he had the wrong tee time he and his caddy had the wrong tee time it was just dovetailing off that punctual thing so he's standing on the putting green Next to Bernard Lawner's caddy, and, and he asks like, Lawner's caddy, he's like, "What time are you off, man?" He goes, "Whatever, two twenty-five." He goes, "No, that's when we're off." So then he like runs to the first tee, and uh, let me find. <laughs> he had two drivers in his bag. First tee at Lytham, so par three. So they're not hitting driver. He doesn't know he has two drivers in his bag. Let me let me find my notes here. Um. One one so th- of the things about this too that's interesting yeah. is that yeah. his caddy, so he had we'll cut to- his regular caddy a couple weeks before. So right. The guy that caddied for him forever, so he had this other guy in as his caddy because he cut his caddy because he's like, "Hey, I'm not making the money I used to make. You should go make money." Like, and yep. it, and it was like a really nice gesture for Woozy to do, and he, like he told his caddy to get off the bag who'd been with him forever. Right. And so he had this, right. he had a new caddy. Yes. He told him, go make some money. Yeah. So the hour before his tea time was frenzied on the practice tee. This is crazy. He was still experimenting with drivers, undecided about which one to use. Isn't he tied for the 54 a lot, a lot, And a lot of people said that he was playing the best of everybody. The tour equipment, the equipment reps were fussing over him. Finally, he settled on a club, went to the practice green, removed the head cover from his 42-inch putter and restroked putts. So it's like a frenzied hour he's testing drivers or switching back and forth doesn't know his tee time he gets the first tee it's par three he hits it to within uh a pint glass i think bamberger wrote it he hit it to within a pint glass on the par three makes birdie he's in the lead at the open championship now duvall hasn't even teed off yet and he's one back um so they get to the second tee and that's when it, i think miles burn is the caddy and uh they find out he's got two drivers in the bag. He was supposed to, the, the caddy was supposed to take one driver back to the locker, and he never did. Woozy takes the cat, uh, the extra driver out. He, his caddy goes, You're going to go ballistic. <laughs> Woozy, this, he's in the, sh- in the lead by one hot tempered Welshman. 
takes the club, just launches it against the tree, tells John Paramore he had two, gets a two-shot penalty, went from one up to one back. Bogey's like the next two holes, never really kind of is in contention after that. He's like, I never shook it off, he said afterward, but the little pub brawler <laughs> fought back with an eagle and three birdies and finished in a six-way tie for third. Um, the uh, the open was kind of his uh, bugaboo. Too, ba- too bad he didn't win. He he had he had four top fives in it. I felt like I'd been kicked in the teeth. I felt like picking up and walking in, but he played on in a daze. Uh, he did not fire him. Said he's a good caddy. I'm not going to sack him. And Berm took all the blame. The buck stops with me. Uh, he told him not to worry. Everyone makes mistakes. Told the uh, thing was, I was almost late to the first tee. We already got that. He said he had to run across the tee, which I'm trying to. <laughs> Woozy on the handlebars of a bike in Milan and running across the tee to make his tee time were two of the images that made me laugh. Yeah. In Miles' defense, he could have said nothing. He could have gone to the portable toilet, taken the club out, and dumped it, but he didn't. He deserves credit for that. If you're dishonest, you get found out eventually. Even though I had no intention of using the club, the rules are the rules. Ah. Uh-huh. So he doesn't sack him, doesn't fire him, but he does two weeks later when the caddy oversleeps his tea time and no-shows him at the Scandinavian Masters. Then he's done. I haven't spoken to him since. He's okay, though. He's very intelligent. You can do the Times crossword in about five minutes. So he was just like, the caddy was like getting crushed, right? As he should. Getting a lot of stick is what Woozy said. And he was struggling with it. So he like, has a late night out. Apparently, there's debate on whether he was hammered, but he was up late and misses the tea time at the Scandinavian Masters a couple couple weeks later, and that's when he fires him. Anything else? This was like his last hurrah. This, this that 2001. Was that, uh, that was, it's kind of the what could have been. If you if he wins that, it's just a he's got a completely different tr- stratosphere and remembered as you know yeah it wasn't yeah. like watson but it was a s- similar thing to like watson where this you know guy that nobody expected to be in contention uh, at at the open was in contention yeah i think he, he was uh he's an interesting character you know should we do a little rider cup oh yeah just a little i mean because this is so this is so much of their legacy, right? As we're talking about legacy, like this European group, the European tour, we talked about Monty, right? Like you can't discredit, like it matters more over there. And it's become such a big part of their their legacy. Um, when we talk about his master's winner, we talk about him being number one in the world, that we talk about, you know, order of merits, you have to factor in the Ryder Cup, really almost like up there with the masters, Ryder Cup legacy. As you noted, he never won a singles match, but became part of the group that really started making this competitive again in, in the 80s. He's first, he was on, I think, nine consecutive teams. 83 mm-hmm. was his first one. 85 was when they won and broke, what was it, like 28 years? Yeah. Been since uh, 87 was when they finally won on U.S. soil at Muirfield, which... It was Jack as the captain. Muirfield Village. Muirfield Village, just, the, just to be that, clear. Where the, that was uh, Woozy paired with Nick Faldo and created what people say is the greatest greatest pairing of all time. Two-man team. Can I just, real quick, 85? This is an uh, article I can't find. In Sports Illustrated. No one expected the tiny tots 
Brian's Britain's Ian Woosnam and Paul Way, neither of whom stands much taller than a driver, to make eight best ball birdies Friday afternoon reverse the tide after the U.S. had taken the 3-1 lead. So like the tiny tots kind of reversing that 85. The 85 was the one they finally won. Mm-hmm. 87, they win in America with Faldo. Uh, at, at Jack's place. With at Jack Muirfield as, Village. As the captain. Pretty good win. This was Azinger. He talked about, or I forget. It's one of the Americans. Later in the day, I had to watch a shirtless Ian Woosnam ride around on Sam Torrance's shoulders as the Europeans <laughs> celebrated their victory. That was no fun. Andy Bean, who beat him in singles after he dominated with Faldo in two-man t- games. Bean was played superbly, superbly to beat Woosnam. It hurts when the little bitty fellow outdrives you, said the 6-4 Bean. But he still beat him in singles. The litty, little bitty fellow. You got anything else on 87? Mirrorfield Village. Riding around shirtless on Sam Torrance's shoulders was a good <laughs> They thing. talked about Tony ja- uh, Jacqueline and just like how brilliant he was because he figured out pairs and how that's been like the thing that that Europe's done is and it started there was this yeah. ability to figure out like dynamic pairings that were just unstoppable. And you think about all the ones we've seen over the last 20 years that are just like, you know, they, you just can't beat these guys, these pairings and the, the U S and they talk, they talk a lot about how the U S still has never found them. You know, when right. was the last great right. pairing? Right. Cause Faldo, Faldo and, and Woozy had never lost, I think until, uh, Kiowa. Because Azinger talks about that, like that was his best win ever, more than the Seve match that got heated. Uh, you know, when they were nose to nose, it was like beating Faldo and Woosnam was like the one he loved the most in '91. So we've got an '85, and the, the Faldo Woosnam pairing couldn't have been more polar opposite players and right. personalities. Like right. they are right. like completely right. different. Woozy actually talked after winning about how he started to try and change his swing and stuff, and how that. Might have been part of it where he got more technical because he saw what Faldo was doing, where yeah. Faldo was like Mr. Fitness and he was all, you know, he was kind of doing all these swing changes and, and Woozy tried to emulate that. And he's like, why did I do that? I, my swing yeah. won me a major. <laughs> Probably would have won right. me more majors. Right. So 80, 89, so they win 85, win 87. 89 is they tie at the Belfry, retain the cup. But he was my biggest disappointment. This is was when I was the last man out against Curtis Strange in '89. The matches were all over. We'd won the trophy, and I was one up with three to go. Curtis wanted to concede. Strange wanted to concede. Made no difference to the overall result. I said no. Let's play on. So he makes birdies at the last three holes and beats me. I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, wait, wait. The f- so they, the it was over. They they had already I guess had enough points to have and retain the cup as that this is how I read it. Okay. So th- their match I guess didn't matter. They were going to retain the cup, and Curtis Strange offered to concede it. Does that make sense to you? My biggest disappointment was when I was the last man out against Curtis Curtis Strange in '89. We'd won the trophy. I was one up with three to go. Interesting. So I don't know. That's how I read it. '91 Kiowa. Kiowa, they they lose. Uh, Faldo, there's talks about him and Faldo, like just really, well, a not figuring out how to putt on Bermuda, figuring out the Bermuda at Kiowa, then b like not really talking to each other. They thought there was maybe dissension. Um, Azinger talks about it being his biggest win. Um, 
And he also wrote, Hazing Gear, this is Sports Illustrated. I remember that Woozy kind of tied one on soon after the matches were over. The Euros were passing him around over their heads <laughs> in the reception tent at the course. <laughs> Before both teams boarded the same bus to go to the victory dinner. They sat in the back and we were in the front. There was stone silence until Deborah Couples went to the back and sat with the Euros. Then th- things started to get raucous. Finally, Woozy stood up and said, what's the matter with you people? You've won. You should be singing. We all laughed. And next thing you know, Woozy is singing, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. This is after they lost. He's getting passed around over his head. He's singing Yankee Doodle Dandy on the bus and all the Euros are singing on along with him. Later, Woozy was leaning against the bar when I came up to get a tonic and soda. He looked up at me, squinting as if he'd never seen me before, and said, Damn, Zayner, you're tall. It was beautiful. <laughs> so bombed at 91. Boozy um, <laughs> woozy. He only has and then he's, he only has two beers and a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, that was the, uh, I'd call it early, two AM. You know, I'm not out there too late. Two o'clock is late enough. <laughs> um what else? So uh, while we're on, I the guess Bjorn. in 97. Yeah. So 97, Savvy benched him at Valderrama. He played only once. And like it really, really pissed him off. But in 06, he's the captain. Thomas Bjorn just unloads. So they were buddies. He played with Bjorn. Yeah. I've read articles where he considered Bjorn, like uh, Bjorn considered him kind of like a mentor. Uh, and they played together in 97 when they won at Valderrama. <laughs> this is woozy. An independent article. In an unprecedented attack, this is Thomas Bjorn talking, unprecedented attack, which will throw Europe's Ryder Cup preparations into total disarray. Thomas Bjorn yesterday accused Ian Ian Woosnam of being barmy and labeled him (laughs) the most pathetic captain I've ever seen. The most, this is British writing for you. The verbal assault, more venomous than golf has ever witnessed. I don't know if that's accurate. Came the I, day he af- did not hold any punches. Came the day after Wisdom had chosen Lee Westwood as his second wild card over Bjorn to complete the dozen. That will take a, Tom Lehman's side at the 17 times at the. For those club. that don't know, Barbie um, means extremely foolish. What do you mean? What? Barmy, barmy means oh, barmy, extre- barmy. extremely okay. foolish. Gotcha. He kept gotcha. using barmy. So far, his captaincy has been the most pathetic I've ever seen. The man is barmy. To be captain and not communicate with the team or those in contention at all. I haven't spoken to him for six months, and then I find I'm not in the team by watching on television. How can that be right? There's a lot of uneasiness about his captaincy. The whole of last week was hell for us in contention, or rather those of us who thought we were. Why did we have to run around being the laughing stock when his mind must have already been made up? It doesn't earn you much respect, and it looks like he's the first to learn how to be a captain. It sure doesn't. It sure doesn't seem as if he's burdened with too many leadership qualities. Bjorn is most disgusted how he, he they broke the news. He didn't talk to any of these guys. A lot of the ball talked about this, like he how he was silent. I think even uh, Loner was mad because like Woozy like said, "I'm not going to be like Loner. I'm going to like." I don't know. He he downed Loner when contrasting his captaincy style. He said he was going to bring a little life to the yeah to, to the captaincy. Bjorn, this was after they made the Westy the final captain. The first I heard from him was when he came to the hotel bar later that evening. So whatever European tour event when the picks were due, he gave me twenty seconds about Lee having one at the K Club five years ago in a bar. That just about sums him up in a bar. He put a lot of players through misery because he just doesn't have the right thing. So here, 
Woozy's Woozy's response to this was hilarious because I tried to tell him I hope you respect my decision, but uh, he wasn't a happy chappy when I told him. <laughs> Characterized him as a happy chappy. Surely the greatest understatement of the cup's long history. A happy chappy. Um. So this was. I mean, Westy like wasn't playing great then. Bjorn was playing great, and you know, Westy and Bjorn obviously tight tight friends now. Yeah. Uh, most pathetic captaincy ever. Can you imagine that right now? Um, other things about his captaincy was just hilarious. It sounds like I'd like to compare him to like Les Miles. Like, you know, one LSU just loaded with talent, just playing like an overmatched team. Maybe didn't know what was going on all the time. I mean, it was like um, one of the biggest routes in Ryder Cup yes, history. Yes. He apparently got pissed at Paul McGinley for conceding the last hole or last match to not set the record. <laughs> kind of analogous to Woozy at 89, right? Not yeah. picking the... He was mad that McGinley didn't concede for some reason. Um, Woosnam... So, he, I guess he planted trees to kind of cut off some of the dog... Because to prevent like the big hitting Americans from cutting off dog legs. Planted some trees at the K-Club. Tried to shave down like all the areas around the green. He goes, I saw Phil Mickelson hit a lob shot, you know, swing his hardest and went a yard at Memorial. That's not going to be happening here. They, they, he tried to shave down the areas around the green. Um, but uh, so that was like how he did prepare. But apparently, I don't know. This was a Jaime Diaz like recap. Layman, who is so exceptionally prepared that one Irish paper dubs him St. Tom. Woosnam, on the other hand, stammers when he reads his prepared remarks and seems to be making his decisions on the fly. <laughs> when a journalist pointed out that all the par fives are in even-numbered holes, encouraging the pairing of a long hitter with a shorter hitter in the foursome, Woosnam acted surprised. That's a good point. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the writer, I think it was Diaz Sanders, said, Really? His Euro team was so talented that for the opening session on Friday, he benched three top players in the top 13 in the world. Luke Donald, Henrik Stenson, and David Howell. He benched him. Uh, but then they route him. So I, I compare it See, to Les Miles. This is some of the things here where yeah. like, people that dog on the Euro Tour, like, yeah. oh, these Euro Tour wins don't count. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is exactly the point. Like, They had better players. Yeah. Like in the 80s, the best players on the Euro Tour were better than the best players on the American Tour. I mean, that 06 U.S. Yeah. team was horrible. Dog. Yeah. And, but it didn't matter. Wisdom, you know, didn't even know about alternating the par fives or thinking of that. Maybe planted trees. It didn't talk to his team for six months and then they win. And he calls it the greatest week in history, which someone said, slight exaggeration. Uh, that's all I got. I mean, I got more on his 06, but we're going way long here. Great. Most pathetic captaincy I've ever seen. Bjorn. But he wins. Anything else on Woozy? Should we talk about legacy? We've kind of hit on it already. Ryder Cup's a part of it. 91 Masters. Number one in the world for 50 weeks. Is he in your Hall of Fame, Andy? He, uh, I'm putting him in. Oh, my gosh. 20, <laughs> wins, in, 20 wins in five years. I agree, but it's five years. He's kind of a, a Duval-esque run, but just on the Euro side, maybe. I, you know, the thing about it though is like, what got me is is the stuff about how he didn't get a play in 
a lot of like the masters like one and i found an article where sevi talked about it um he how he he just like thought he talked about how it was such a mistake that the u.s you know that the, the U.S. Open and the Masters weren't inviting Woosnam. He's sure, like, he's been on sure. the top six of the Order of Merit. He's one of the best players in the world. He's been on the top six of the Order of Merit three years running. Like, how is he not getting invited to this? Um, yeah. So that that was a big deal. Um, it's, I think, like, he, he just was always overlooked. And I think he was a great player. He was a dominant player. Yep. Two orders yep. of merit, a major, and a ton of wins, truckloads of wins. Also against like... World number one. And a time when the Euro Tour was loaded with... We talked about just this, this, the big five. What was it called? Norman was playing there too then. Yeah, I found a Rick Riley article that put him in the big, big three with Norman and Ballesteros. I mean, kind of interesting. Th- that's the thing is, it's not a. He wasn't a blip on the radar, right? The guy was a force for. If you look at his best decade, it's pretty. I'm sorry, he's big three with Norman and Faldo, ninety one. You know, there's been a lot of big threes over time. I think, yeah, I think he was a force, like you said. He won thirty one times in a ten year stretch. Plus the aesthetics, which we can't speak to. We can only read the articles of people comparing the best ball striker ever, comparing a swing to Sam Snead. There was like an aesthetic there, appreciation. You know, I think there's a subjective element here, right? And we talked about that with Duvall. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And All right. the, the upbringing, everything. It, it's it's just, so cool. It's a cool yeah. story. Is he, so he's always been snubbed. So he was the last of the Europe's big five to get into the Hall of Fame. Oh, he was? Um, yeah. And he wasn't okay. even on the ballot for a long time. He until 2014, his it, so he in 2014 he wasn't even on the ballot when his name wasn't on the ballot. After seeing the results of the World Golf Hall of Fame, I think it's time to say goodbye to golf and retire. He tweeted at the time. I mean, he wasn't on the ballot. Still playing the Masters. It's, By the way, he's got a horrible back. Horrible. He's got like arthritis in his spine from like got diagnosed the hay. in '87. 87, his best year, he got diagnosed with what was like something called AS, I think. He's like getting injections in his back. Um, so, yeah, I had to deal with it, which shortened some of the the kind of peak years there, for sure. And maybe so, the drinking, too. Here's longer on what like that group of guys did. What we did, yeah. uh, what we did opened up European golf. We weren't invited to play in the Masters, the U.S. Open, or or many other events. Now we were invited. We they thought there's some talent over there, some really good players. We should have them in our tournaments. Uh, there was no world ranking in the early days. I remember in the early '80s when the only European who got invited to the Masters was the one who had won the money list. Like think Insane. about it. crazy. I mean, like Woosnam, and that's the thing. The year he wins seven times. There's no world ranking. He probably would have been number one in the world then. No, world rankings started eighty six, right? There was no they they there was no ranking though. Like they by hadn't it, refined it. Okay, uh-huh. I don't okay. think so because like that's I'm I'm looking at the rankings and I don't think it's not registered. There's no ranking okay. by his name. I don't know. Okay, okay, but it's crazy, right? right? 
Yeah. Great Masters. I'm going to watch that tonight. I think, it, yeah. Nothing, at a minimum, the second nine. Watson making two eagles. And in that frenzy, he still wins. Woozy. So, Let's see. Sticking to his game plan, too. Oh, here. I found the ranking. Okay. Uh, he was six. He started the year 30th in, in 87. Got up to six. But, like, here. Okay. 87. Ready for the for the rankings? Norman, yeah. Ballesteros, Longer, Lyle, Curtis Strange, Woozy, and then a bunch of wow. Americans. Strange is the only one in there. Five of the top six were Euro Tour players. Amazing. All Norman, right. Norman might have been in America by then. Yeah, I think so. Faldo All was right. 14. I thought this was going to be a shorter one. Woozy. But we had so much fun reading with Woozy. From the Ryder Cup to the Boozy Woozy to the Wee Welshman. The Wee Welshman. He's in your Hall of Fame. He's in. For now. We're going to re- re-examine all this once we do the holistic so, exercise. This is the where everybody would you... Everybody's talking about O'Meara, right? Oh, God. We're going back to O'Meara. But okay. like this is the thing. is that Woozy was a bona fide superstar for five six seven years right omira was for six months right he's made the cut in the masters once since 2001 well he's got a arthritic back i know i'm not so he retired that's one of the things he says his back's fine but then there's something about the hills at augusta that just get him yeah yeah he's had some good takes on the like Course conditioning, equipment, not necessarily Augusta, but in general. Yeah. Is, what do you say his biggest wedge, his highest lofted wedge was like 53 degrees or something? Mm-hmm. St. Yeah. Andrews had to dig out bunkers. He says, when I watch the game, I don't see the variety of shots I used to maybe 30 years ago. The modern swings are a lot more similar than they used to be, which is a consequence of equipment and the desire to hit the ball high. They don't seem to bother about the wind or any uh, about the wind anymore. In defense of the players today, I don't think they can't play the shots. Yeah. It's that they don't have to, which don't I totally to. agree because yeah. of equipment. That's yep. that's like okay. so spot on. Yep. Yep. All right. All right. Woozy. Great Woozy. exercise. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back. We think we might go with Lyle next. Seems like we're trending in that direction. That's a nice companion to this one. Uh, as always, send us feedback if you like, dislike something we're doing with these. We sharpen them up. But uh, we're going to keep going down memory lane here. We're having fun with it. All right. Talk to you guys on Wednesday.